1: Hello, hello, hello. I gave everyone speaker permissions. How are y'all doing tonight? Hello. Can y'all hear me? Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. and i still got to finish tomorrow's episode i tried oh. to stay ahead of the game but uh <laughs> fell off <laughs> how's everybody else doing hello can you hear me
2: yeah, everybody else are listeners right
1: now. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I, I've invited everybody up. So let me send them again. What up? Hey. What up? How, how are you,
3: doing?
1: How art thou? <laughs> I'm chilling. I'm chillin'. All right, cool beans. So, we'll go ahead and get started for the sake of time. Um, This is Finn Noir, a space for Black Money Talks. This is where we get on and talk about um, money topics as it relates to Black folks like us. Um, My name is Tiffany Grant, and I run Money Talk with TIFF, which is a financial education platform. And my co-host is Rakim Sabri. So go ahead,
4: Rakim. Rakim Sabri here. As you all know, I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. And I am the host of the Overcoming Financial Trauma
2: podcast.
1: Perfect. Thank you. And Anthony?
2: Hello, everybody. I am the host of the About That Water podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits.
5: Thank you, and Jonathan? Hey, good evening. Sorry, hopefully people can hear me. Uh, I was having issues with my mic. but Jonathan, Thomas. I help people build wealth. Uh, Use your bank to partner along the path with you. Uh, You can find me on TikTok, J. Thomas Solutions, and IG, J. Thomas Solutions.
1: Thank you, sir. And I'm gonna hop back up to Marquia.
6: Hello, everybody. My name is Marquia. I'm known as the Money Plug here on social media. I'm a credit specialist who is just obsessed, apparently, with pointing people in the right direction and exposing fraudulent uh, credit repair specialists on
1: social media. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that should you should keep that as part of your intro. <laughs> So I used to, on
3: in one of my videos
6: in my playlist I used to call myself the credit Chris Hansen
1: <laughs> <laughs> alright and Tamika
3: hi my name is Tamika Howell I'm a financial educator and I simplify money management for busy and easy to strive black women
1: Thank you, ma'am. So um, this is our panel for today. So far, uh, more people might hop in. But uh, for this conversation, I was like, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So I was like, let's do an MLK edition, right? Um, And so in doing my research on this, I was like, did MLK even talk about money in any of his speeches? Because I know it was all about like equality and, you know, they was, it was during the civil rights movement. So it was all about that. But I'm like, was there any money topics covered? And lo and behold, he talked a lot about money and a lot of his speeches. And so I wanted to kind of bring that up and then we can kind of just free flow from some of that. So one thing I came across was, which we've made this point before, and we've talked about it a little bit, um, I think sometime last year, but He talks about, in one of his speeches, uh, materialism, right? So I'll just name off one of the quotes. I'll say one of the quotes, and um, you all can just give your thoughts on it. So the quote is, we do not have to look very far to see the tragic consequences which develop when men worship the mighty, almighty dollar. It causes men to be more concerned about making a living than a life. And I said, ooh, that was good. (laughs) <laughs> but we know he was a preacher so um what are you all's thoughts uh to start us off I can go ahead and give mine when I read that I said oh that's a word right there because you know even going into the topic we talked about last week about um you know all the hiring and stuff and needing to move around if you're trying to make moves now's the time um so on and so forth and a lot of times a lot of time we spend chasing money Chasing making a living versus Living a life and I was just Like you know that quote Really spoke volumes Because at the end of the day Are we Just chasing like you know We all say oh don't chase the money Don't do this but are we Really doing that <laughs> like on a daily Basis for real so um, Yeah go ahead Rekem.
4: You know I had to Jump up in here uh, so, I have mixed feelings on it because while I agree with the sentiment, I think that the words can often and do often get uh kind of twisted to fit whatever the agenda of the person who is quoting Dr. King. In this particular instance, I think those words could be used oppressively um to discourage people from participating in capitalism black people specifically from participating in capitalism as the dominant economic system which in turn keeps us behind and so um again feel very strongly about the sentiment around worshiping money and placing money on a pedestal but also wanting us to be conscious of the money scripts um, that we may have internalized as it relates to um, the often misquoted scripture, money being the root of all evil. And that um, understanding that money is a tool, money in and of itself is not evil. What we choose to do with money could be evil and certainly um, who we become once we once we acquire that money. So uh, I'm going to leave it there.
1: It would help if I get off mute. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Because, I mean, we talked about that also, I think, in another fin de where, you know, as Black people, do we feel worthy of making money and, you know, all of that in capitalism and so on and so forth. And so I'm glad you brought that up because it's super important. And I can see how that could be twisted into that <laughs> so you made an excellent point. did anybody else have any thoughts just around that quote or what rakim said or what i said uh anthony
2: yeah just going off of uh what rakim was talking about um far as the participation in capitalism i think that is really important that we also look at um what we have in front of us i mean honestly I think we all talked about this before. It's like chasing money in in some aspects. It really depends on where you're at in, in your financial journey. Because in the beginning, all of us were hustling to try to at least great two pennies together to try to make sure that we either A, have everything that we need, and B, possibly try to find a way to you know, continue to put food on the table, but also enjoy our lives in order in order for us to enjoy our lives, unfortunately, is that we need that financial capital, which in again is participating in the capitalist uh, society that's already in place. So, and that's one of the things that I, I think that um, we could actually take away, like try to take away from it um, where you are in your journey and finances. So that's why I yielded.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Anthony. And Marquis, I saw your hand go up. And it's
6: it's crazy because of how indoctrinated we are to put the value um, of life, kind of to tie it up in the dollar, because we're taught that we're taught, you know, well, I was taught anyway, like you go to school. You got to go to college. You got to get a really good job, with really nice benefits. You got to work 40 hours, work overtime if you have to, to set, you know, because we're black. So that means we got to work twice as hard to look half as good. So then we're putting all this extra work on top of the work we're already doing. And then, you know, society pressures like it. If you're not doing that, if you're not giving a thousand percent to the job, um, and and putting all those hours in then are you really successful like this whole like rise of the entrepreneur recently for a lot of us this was our first taste at wait, so I don't have to work 40 hours a week to fucking make a decent living or I don't have to, you know, be a slave to a paycheck. I could be happy not having a a corporate style job. It really allowed those of us who were so hell bent on living life a specific way um, based off of what we were taught. And this kind of goes towards like, you know, why do people put that value in? It's because I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. I was one of those people. I joined the military, not because i was super patriotic i joined the military because it was a check and some insurance and i put my i put my life on the line literally for a check literally for a check for the promise to pay my college tuition knowing that i might not even make it to college like and the fact that i was so comfortable doing that because i valued money and and the and and that i just valued it so much that i literally put my life on the line it's so crazy looking back
1: on it now Yeah, that's deep. And like you said, a lot of um, people that go into the military, they don't even think about it like that. So, you know, hindsight 2020. Uh, Jonathan, I think I've seen your hand next.
5: Yeah. um, Before I get into my point, Marquis, it's so interesting that you uh, brought that up. Great to hear from you again, sis, Um, that uh, good college friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers, I got to meet up with him at Waffle House and I didn't understand how he went from college to going into the military and he has a family now and all that, but it boiled down. That was the first thing out of his mind. He was like, never have to worry about healthcare. He was like, you can have all the money in the world, but he's like, the healthcare, my kids, my wife, he was like, to know that we're 100% good, it, it's worth it, I'll, I'll make that choice three, four times over. Uh, I thought I, I, it really took me back because I was expecting him to say something like, yeah, grew up military. Um, the motivation, his motive, I expected his motivations to be different uh, and definitely learn something. But to you guys, uh, to your earlier point, uh, it, when I hear or, and I kind of went down a little rabbit hole with Dr. King um, looking at, hey, with someone who had such an impact uh, and a voice was there anything said about money and some of the stuff that I came up with much to, um, not surprise, well surprising was that it's some of this it's the same message that we all kind of speak about. Um, now the keeping up with the Joneses, the, uh, can you, uh, kind of identify? I know back then he was more, at least my impression was he was trying to get the equality tone, uh, it talked about oppression, talked about, um, just moving forward uh, as a people, but one of the things that he came up with in that uh, was: Do you ever see people buy cars that they can't even begin to buy in terms of their income? You've seen people riding around in Cadillacs and Chrysler who don't earn enough at that time to buy a good T model 4. uh Economists say live fifty, buy a car fifty percent of your income, and yet people make five thousand a year and yet they're buying a car that costs six and some of those same behaviors, like we see that now. Um, but what it translates back in is you want it to be seen, uh, as successful. And until each one of us, we have to determine ultimately what that s- success is. Uh, because like you guys said, the whole hustle culture piece, especially in this new mix of generations and everything that it, um, all these CEOs worried that we don't have workers because people aren't buying into the fact that they want to kill themselves to move up the corporate chain. Uh, younger people aren't wanting to enter the workforce and they're finding ways to live the life or live a different style of life without the corporate pace. So how will they in turn keep their businesses sustainable and going forward while uh, retirees are exiting the work- workforce? A lot of these things are coming up like we're in a big, what, uh, what I would consider one of the biggest crux of culture identity because you have so much that's come out over the last couple of years while you've taken our the nation, America, through uh, what I would consider an identity crisis in the whole COVID-19 situation, whether you believe it was on purpose or an accident, however it is. Suffice it to say, you You lock down a scenario with people and now people coming out with priority shifts, value shifts that don't necessarily align with, again, uh, to Raquel's point, the capitalistic culture.
1: Yes, yes, thank you. I was over here. I wish y'all could see me just nodding my head so hard. <laughs> I'm like it's not video tip, it's not video. All right, um, I want to go to Kamari and then Andre.
0: i be okay, everybody. Um, glad to be here. Sorry I was late. Um, my thoughts about MLK are uh, kind of interesting. I, the the MLK that they portray now is kind of watered down. Um you you would think that everybody loved MLK. Um, the whole black church loved MLK. And that just ain't so. Um, There was a there's an interesting movie called the I want to say it's the Vernon Johns. I'm trying to think Vernon Johns. It was either Vernon Johns, not Vernon Jordan, Vernon Johns, but the pastor that was right before King in Atlanta, um, kind of mentored him, and he was pro black, pro black business, and King got a lot of of his ideas and a lot of his foundation from him and is often missed upon and many people don't realize that martin kind of moved right i mean he wasn't just stagnant he was about equality but he was always about understanding that money moved the needle whether it was on the black side or the white side and i mean there there are speeches of him out there talking about close down your your accounts at white at white banks move your money to black banks Open insurance, life insurance with black life insurance companies, and you know again a lot of that is missed. He was very much pro-black, um, and I, I feel like during these times, that's really really important to bring bring up. And while he might not be as uh, electric as a Malcolm at that time, but all of them move. They're human beings, so. You know, I, I I like all parts of Martin. He was very much a thinker, but very much pro-Black um, across the board. So that's all I got.
1: Yes. Thank you, Kamari. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I know we talked about this, I think, on a previous space where we, you know, stressed the importance of, buying black and you know patronizing our black brothers and sisters as as a way to move the needle forward and I just want to reset the room real quick just make sure that you're checking out the pin tweets at the top um, every quote that we're going to be going over I'm going to pin it at the top as well so the one that we're going over is the second tweet up there and then just check out the other ones as the speakers are talking. Alright go ahead Andre.
7: Thank you so much Tiff Thanks to the room This is uh, It's a very Special topic To me Um, I'm a realtor uh, Based in New York So I've seen Some of the The horrors That King was fighting against In my time you know And you know So the previous speaker he spoke to you know the kind of moment moment that it is now right and we can assess i was in another room where they were talking about you know how do we compare if we're better off better or worse off after king and i realized us as black people his community really we we lost his message we didn't really understand um fully where he was coming from because they stopped us from from fully getting a grasp of his uh what made him such a threat right so you know we we talk about black business and black capitalism and like i say i'm in the financial real estate financial services sector you know I'm in the thick of it and I've been incentivized, you know, to evict a single mother of a sick child. You know, I, I've seen how investors literally will express in no ambiguous terms how they are actively avoiding the inclusionary zoning, right? That the government is supposed to be putting in place and that they are supposed to be subscribing to. So I just wanna Draw from this quote, real quick, to kind of put in context what I believe is missing in the discussions of how Black people in 2023 should view, you know, the economy, their role in this economic system in this country in terms of. How do we build wealth? How do we develop? So he says, our nation is now so rich. Keep in mind, this is, you know, in the late 60s, we had the Korean War. We had World War II. We had, you know, they were doing Vietnam and, you know, the Vietnam, the Viet Cong, they were communists. They were fighting against the capitalist system. We had the USSR in the Cold War, the United States making them the primary target as those being a threat direct threat against them. Um, and so uh, they're trying to spread what they call democracy and everyone in the world sees that is an economic system going on here that people have been studying for a long time. And so I think as black as a black community, first and foremost, we got to contextualize King's um, uh, uh, figure as one in that context of capitalist uh, 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 economic struggle of global proportion right there was world wars over capitalism this was this was in order to get the 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 competitive edge so that they could trade you know and gain profit because that was the system and so the world wars were fighting uh in competition and then the cold war ussr was to say this was the first time in history where they had said no no no, no. The poor people are we have a system That we're saying is directly in opposition of capitalism where poor and working people without the means of production are, you know, don't have power. We want to switch that. And so instead of the people with the money having the power, we want the people who make the money for them to have the power. Right. Because they are getting money and profiting. Uh, and so that's how they saw it in in Russia in the USSR. And so that's what the Cold War was about. That's what the Vietnam War was about. Was the United saying the United States saying, anybody who messes with our primary source of power, which is this nifty little economic system, that uh, has has been beneficial for us. Right. Keep in mind they had the slavery, they had the wars, and the, all of the oppression around the world. And so real quick, I know I blabber, but he goes, our nation is now so rich, so productive that the continuation of persistent poverty is incendiary. Meaning it's gonna light a spark because the poor cannot rationalize their deprivation. We have yet to confront and solve the international uh, problems created by our wealth in a world still largely hungry and miserable. But more immediate and pressing is the domestic existence of poverty. It is an anachronism in the second half of the 20th century. So the United States had just emerged as the world leader, and it's the contradictions were what King was speaking to. Only the neglect to plan intelligently, meaning not laissez-faire, free-for-all, competition, dog-eat-dog, rat race. He's saying the collective planning and adequately, uh, and the unwillingness genuinely to embrace economic justice enabled it to persist. So this was his primary uh, achievement and contribution, I believe, as a thinker, was to connect his moral cause with the economic cause that had been going on, the struggle had been going on for centuries. We weren't able to connect it. The United States kind of rubbed it out of our consciousness with the Red Scare. Uh, what do they call it? They were uh, exiling uh, artists and political activists saying capitalism is destroying the fabric of our society, whether it's the material gains that have a starving on the bread lines at work or the moral corrosion of our society where we're, where the poor people are fighting themselves and white poor are hurting the black poor and they can't direct their, uh, Efforts uh, in a way that's productive. It seems so. He says, "Is uh, um, social conflict is not the product, uh, the product of skilled agitation? The apathy from which Negroes suffered for so long was derived from their powerlessness and their acceptance of the myth that abundance was not available." He's saying it doesn't have to be like this. There doesn't have to be poor when we have the ability to to, to plan more intelligently. There are now accumulating power they are now accumulating power he's saying the powerless they are taught by every media of communication that we are so opulent we can enjoy both gut butter and guns that's a economic you know old economic reference uh, guns and butter is like you know two op, two relatively uh unconnected things that they have to decide you know economically you know, comparative or, or cost-benefit analysis. And he says, uh, that is why they confront the white power structure with the, their program uh, and challenge it to produce one of its own. The creative combining of both programs would unite social and economic justice into a single package of freedom. Uh, I, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, he goes, the Negro in 1966 does not issue his challenge in isolation so it's not black capitalism versus white capitalism it would be absurd to think that you know competition scenario that black people being so disadvantaged should internalize a strategy of 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 you know rapacious competition which is what character capitalism is characterized by selma in 1965 made clear that there are white Americans who cherish decency and democracy, meaning we can work together who will physically come to the scene of danger, who will fight for their nation, not only on foreign battles, but where its integrity is, is threatened within its borders. When 50,000 Americans, white and Negro, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, and non-believer assembled in haste from all corners of the land at Montgomery, there lived again in a luminous moment the spirit of the Minutemen who at Lexington and Concord electrified, the world, meaning our country, used to stand for a, a, a real intense uh, um, fight for freedom that people it, it changed the world, America, because they were fighting against the monarchy, which was clear to them at that point was intolerable and so king is describing the conditions where the american society are realizing that it's intolerable to have this kind of system so revolution was what he was speaking to he goes negroes expect their freedom not as subjects of benevolence you're not going to give us our freedom we have to take it we're not going to play your game we have to take it uh in our own hands but as americans who were at bunker hill He's speaking to the, our revolutionary past, who toiled to clear the forests, drain the swamps, build the roads, who fought the wars and dreamed the dreams the founders of the nation considered to be an American birthright. So, that's that's what I want to leave with you guys. Uh, I would love to open that discussion up to see what we can, um, you know, get from king's references to a economic revolution the ones that were in the world war and the ones with the cold war and all of these wars united states we're not allowed to talk about communism socialism the main critiques of capitalism and so black folk we're not involved um in the international circles when we have china whose now economic growth is is surpassing the United States and they're calling themselves capitalists. I mean, uh, communists. They're calling themselves critics of the the this economic system, right? And they're learning from Russia. Uh, they're learning from this stuff, but we have to do it too. We were part of this. Um, Malcolm X was a socialist. Martin was a socialist. Angela, Huey, Hampton, each hey, and, and every and one and of and them. And and so I'll close we, with that. We, we wanna,
4: yeah, we want to pump the brakes real
0: quick. Woo. I got that Malcolm spirit. I see. Yeah, I know yeah. Malcolm X is a capitalist is coming up at some point.
5: Yeah, you you was ready for since five a.m. You was you was you had your points. Yes, yes sir. I Well, I
7: studied development economics in you know in grad school, and uh-huh. so I I know what the white folk have to deal with. We got to be able to have this conversation, right? So just ha- having the conversation is all I want. exactly
1: yeah. Thank you. We having that conversation tonight. You brought up so many points, and I was just like, "Woo, he is laying it on us tonight." <laughs> um, but I do want to be respectful um, of other people with their hands up in their time. So, Marquia, <laughs> the quote that I um that
6: I use tonight um was during his nobel peace prize address in 64 he said the rich nations must use their vast resources of wealth to develop the underdeveloped school the unschool and feed the unfed ultimately a great nation is a compassionate nation no individual or nation can be great if it does not have a concern for the least of these and i always liked that quote because my grandfather used to y'all know the the five percenters my granddad used to swear up and down he was a five percenter right and he used to say that a nation doesn't necessarily have to be a country of people it's just a group of people with a similar mindset and so for me that quote always meant to me about the village if we're gonna bring back the village then we have to school we have to school ourselves we need to school the people who don't know we have to develop the underdeveloped we got to feed the unfed like you know with with sustenance as well as with education and that's one of the reasons I've always been so passionate about reaching back and and giving back and and volunteering and doing stuff like that because even back then, right, like that's one of the things, somebody said it earlier uh, I don't know what group chat this is, I'm in a bunch of different group chats, but somebody said earlier like, um, are we better or worse um, after MLK, right, that was one of the conversations that we had today and this quote always reminds me that In my opinion, we're not any better because we're still not feeding the unfed, right? People get money and forget what it was like when they was broke. They don't reach back. Instead, they scheme, scam, and try to get as much money out of these same communities who poured into them. Like, you know, and it's just, it just kind of humbles me a little bit and reminds me that, you know, no matter how big I get, I don't mean shit if I'm not reaching back and taking care of people. I'm not helping my community or my nation if I'm not doing my part and making sure that everybody is given kind of like an even playing field. But that was why I chose that quote for today.
1: Thank you, Markeia. Um And I want to go to Jonathan.
5: No, um, Markeia, we, we must be in sync today because uh, I was just, I've been digging a lot into the stats and one of the things that, as you see, obviously we're older. And one of the questions I had while I'm trying to look at data to kind of back it up, is are we as all personal finance influencers people who are developing these uh platforms but also uh expanding our own financial independence are we adding to the number of african-american people with wealth or are we replacing it are we after all these people are educating are we shifting more down to it to our People in poverty, people who um, just can't get that first good job, and all these different things. Are we uh, providing stepladders to move things up? And so uh, that's the only thing that I look at when I'm kind of assessing who I follow, what they're doing, always for the culture. I get everybody has to make their coin. They're, you know, saying your business, you can't do everything. But the biggest part about money is it can impact and it can uplift. And and on the blessing side of things, you can give the right person $10,000 and it can completely change their family because of the opportunity it now lends itself to them. But are we doing enough of that with our funds rather than, hey, we're, we found a way to make something uh, go viral and this information is great, but at the end of the day, if I can teach and you guys can teach as well, but if no one's actually investing and taking it and they're just really taking up the entertainment of it all, did we really help the scenario?
1: Right. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that um, goes right into the quote that I just put up, I pinned up on the top and it says, we must create full employment or we must create incomes. People must be made consumers by one method or the other. Once they are placed In this position, we need to be concerned that the potential of the individual is not wasted. So that kind of tied right in. So thank you for that segue. I did not pay him. Um, That kind of tied right into the quote that I wanted to put up there as well. Uh, Kamari?
0: Yeah, I wanted to go back to what Marquis was talking about in terms of what are we better after King. Um, I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. It's it's not a linear thing. Um, when you go, if you look at the numbers, if we dive into the numbers, unemployment rate um, is about the same when King marched on Washington. Um, home ownership, the black home ownership is lower than it was before King marched on Washington. Um, I would probably say entrepreneurship might be up a little bit higher, but here's the thing. Because it's hard to really go back and look at these things, because things build on themselves. We probably wouldn't be able to have this conversation right now had it not been for MLK. Twitter would have been segregated. Airlines would have been more segregated. Um, jobs would have been more segregated. Uh, it would have just been crazy. Lynching would have been um, still out of control. So, in in one vein, I would say yes, we're doing better, but. On another vein, I would say we're also kind of been in limbo. And I, I wouldn't blame King for that. Some people like to blame King um, for his stamps. I think that's very um, elementary approach to thinking and examining this. But I, I would say we're, we made some progress on some things, and we kind of went back on other things. But – I think now we have the opportunity, we probably, now, we have the greatest opportunity we've ever had, probably had the greatest access to capital we've ever had. The question is now, what are we going to do going forward?
1: Boom. Wish I had a mic drop. (laughs) No, but seriously, though, that is the question. Um, And before I give my thoughts, I want to go to Jonathan, because he raised his hand.
5: Yeah, uh, it's it's just because Kamari had, uh, again, evoked another thought that uh, I know we spoke about it on different uh, editions, but just like the whole black banking thing. Like I've I've checked out um, being a black bank because working there, all that type of stuff. But I looked at it and I'm like, man, their user, uh, their interface, their products, their services aren't competitive to be able to run in this market. So while I would want to bank there, you know what I mean, I can't bank there because Which I'm going to have down? an issue. Uh, It was one of the Atlanta ones.
0: Oh, okay, I was going to say, don't, yeah. let, let's not generalize all of them.
5: Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I checked them. Uh, I, I definitely wasn't partial, but I'm saying the one I was actually tried to utilize because of proximity and all that was in Atlanta. But it's still the the purpose of once we get skilled, like, think about it. Can, like, can they attract top talent? Can they attract the same top talent that is at all these other financial institutions? And I mean, I, I went to apply, but I went to apply because it was a black bank, but having a conversation with them and what they pay and where I was trying to go, I couldn't take that hit at that point. It's something on my, 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 I guess you could say uh, line of sight that, yeah, I'm in a better space. I'm like, okay, I can go here now because it's not, I'm not so much after the financial impact. I'm more on, hey, how can I help your organization move to be able to compete in this world so that not that you have a African-American option, that you have an African-American viable option. And that's the thing that, I mean, I don't, I, I do all Black businesses and support all Black businesses, but the fact is, when we look at viability to compete, are we able to do that? Have we filled up those gaps to be able to compete, not just lean on it's a black business support it, because you can have the black support, but I mean, that's cool. But the viability to compete in this market is still oftentimes missed. And you're right, Kamari on your last point, After after I review anything, how much progress and all that type of thing, I'm still of the mindset that even if we haven't made much progress, the whatever standard that is, in my mind, we have the most or the largest opportunity because there's no way to go but up. It can't get worse.
1: Yes, thank you. And I mean, to... Tag on to your point, though, Jonathan, like, can we do can we be viable as black businesses? And I think part of that is having talent actually take those jobs, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the chicken or the egg type of scenario in my mind. It's like, okay, we're calling for them to be more viable. We're calling for them to um, have better rates or, you know, offer this, that, and the other. But how do they get there if we don't step up and, and do it, you know? And But at the same time, I see your point, you know, we can't just keep taking hits and then it doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of the chicken or the egg type of um, debate on, you know, how do we how do we get there? Where do we go from here to Kamari's point, right? Um, and speaking of, Kamari, go ahead.
0: No, I always want to say, well, um, one, Jonathan, I, I'm sorry I cut you off because I just wanted to be clear that we wasn't just talking about all Black banks. But you make a great point also, right? We shouldn't be in the mindset of just supporting Black just for the sake of supporting Black we should be in the mindset of supporting great that just so happens to be black, um, because greatness is a part of us. And when we aren't doing that and not trying to get religious, I feel that we're kind of falling short of the glory of God. But I won't, I won't go too deep into that. Um, but again, it, some folks think it's just about throwing up a shingle, putting some business, you know, putting some flyers out. Getting some people out there, but it's more than that. I mean, a lot of times I would say your business or your vocation should really be a calling. And when you come to deliver whatever it is you're delivering, you're delivering it with love because people can feel that. But I know Rockin's about to schedule us, we're about to run out of time. So I don't want to say nothing else. <laughs>
5: I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. We are preaching tonight in the spirit of MLK. Um, I want to go ahead and go to Rakim um and then Marquia and then Andre will wrap us up. Uh and we have about mm, 15 minutes left.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the topic of uh black businesses because I know that's probably come up quite a lot in in some of the spaces that we've done. And uh I always like to defer back to um The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, Um, and we have Black History Month coming up next month anyway, in that there's a section of the book where he talks about how, I mean really the whole book, he talks about how we are socialized to embrace this idea of inferiority. And even in the socialization of embracing inferiority when we go into our own institutions, like the HBCUs or um or businesses that we create that there is this idea that ours is not as good as our white counterparts and so um while I agree with everything that's been said from you know Kamari's perspective from Jonathan's perspective I think too when we're looking at just the the psychological trauma that we have experienced and continue to experience through the socialization that we um, get from school age all the way up that we need to look at these businesses, these institutions, these um, whatever it is that we're supporting um, from the perspective of grace and that maybe it's not going to look and feel the way that a bank of America is. Um. But it's going to check off the boxes for how we need to use it so that we can get to a place where we can develop this institution to where a Bank of America is. And I'm just using banks as the example because that was the example given. So um that that's oh, and then really quickly, um I threw up my tweet from September of last year that got me into a whole lot of trouble about uh, Malcolm X. I said Malcolm X was a capitalist and this is to her earlier point. That was made, and you know, I, I'm not opening us up for, for dialogue around that particular tweet, but I think when we were talking about um, participating in the system of capitalism, that that was really the sentiment behind sharing that tweet, in that people will recognize the outspoken views, whether they uh, be political or economic or um, a combination of both, without acknowledging that we all have to play this game. And so when we talk about the work that Dr. King has done, particularly around the civil rights movement and all of the traveling and organizing and protesting and, and, and what have you, we have to also acknowledge that there were dollars that were um, raised, pooled, and given to support that movement from other Black and non-Black individuals. And so when we talk about... um again, participating in this system, whether we have warm, fizzy feelings about capitalism or not, we have to acknowledge the role that, I think Jonathan said this earlier, the role that capital plays in ultimate, I'm sorry, maybe it was Anthony, and making a difference in our day-to-day.
1: Absolutely. And And that's something that I learned in actually doing the research for this space, is MLK had the same thoughts. Like, money moves the needle, period, Um, especially here in America, and so being able to, like, in that time fundraise and get donations and things like that, that's how they were able to keep going, and when we start, like, I think it was Kamari said, he was saying that MLK was like, pull back your money, pull back your money from the banks, pull back your money from this, pull back your money from that, that's how change happens, right, so I think we can gather just from this conversation and looking at the quotes that we all posted, you know, it was all based on a capitalism um, thought process. Right. So anyway, I just wanted to add that. Okay. Go ahead, Marquia.
6: Listen to uh, like everybody talk. I, I swear it makes so much sense now because if you think about it, like, we were conditioned by like media and most notably with the rise of social media that like, Oh, you should be spending all your money on jewelry and you should be doing this and you should be buying that. And you got to be the best looking this and you got to have the BBL and you got to like, they put so much emphasis on these material things so that we don't have the money to put together or to donate or to, you know, collect or to do productive things. And I know somebody said it earlier where they were talking about how, um, how, damn, this might not have been this space. Yeah, I was in a couple MLK spaces today. But um, earlier I was having a conversation and they were saying that um, it was about how a lot of Martin Luther King's quotes are often misused. In order to manipulate us into doing the opposite of what mlk wanted to do in the first place for example when they always talk about how oh he wanted desegregation i mean he yeah he wanted desegregation and blah 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 but then nobody talks about how like after his big famous speech he walked back a lot of those statements nobody brings that up when they're trying to like but they always have that one quote the one or two quotes that they weaponized against us to keep us from I, I don't want to say keep us from unifying in a sense but low key that's what it's starting to feel like and i'm younger than a lot of y'all so like the knowledge that you all have of dr king like he said the what we got was a watered down version we got that mlk was compliant that he went with with, with the what he wanted what the white man wanted and he was he was you know he wasn't as, it was always malcolm versus mlk it was never them together i guess you could say like i said i'm a lot younger than a lot of y'all so my education is a little bit different from y'all's but it was a very watered down version of who MLK actually was and then they also didn't give us resources to do our own search so we was taught to take what they told us as gospel and so now we're moving forward and I never even gave thought to uh you know capitalism and the civil rights movement and socialism and all that stuff until I met y'all until we all started having these conversations and so you know Yes, that says a lot to, you know, the public school system and blah, 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 blah. But that also says a lot to me that I really sat there and swallowed the medicine that they gave me and never questioned it. I just kept moving forward to life. And that's how I ended up joining the military, because I was like, oh, I'd do anything for a check. As long as I got that insurance, you know, I'm willing to do this and do that and risk my life and all that other stuff. Because I was I never thought to question that way of thinking. I never thought to to even question who was teaching it to me for me it was one of those things where it was like it was good enough for my mom it was good enough for my grandmother so it was good enough for me my family i'm come from a family of people who got one job stayed there for 20 25 years and collected a pension and so for me when i was old enough to make that decision i made that decision i was going to join the military i was going to do my 25, get out work at the post office, maybe pull out another 2025. It was I never thought there could be a different life for myself until I got older. And um, unfortunately, you know, life didn't go as planned and I started pivoting. And that's when I realized and I think COVID also was a huge wake up for a lot of people because of how life changed so radically. And then life still went on. A lot of us think that if something don't happen, it's the end of the world or we can't come back from it or anything like that. But COVID showed us that not only will can you go through a huge change and come out on the other side, maybe better than what you were before, but the world's still going to go on. So I don't know. This was a very eye-opening conversation. And Kamari, I already know you got a list of books that you can pass on over. The, I know everything about history because I probably was there. So make sure you drop those two on your Twitter feed today, please, so I can go back and read them. But this was definitely a an eye opening conversation because a lot of the things that you guys tell me about the people I've idolized—Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Carter G. Woodson, W. B. Du Bois—like were things that I was never taught. So it's really cool to 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 see these other viewpoints and to to hear these other like I guess these other opinions of such prolific people that kind of inspire or encourage me to dig a little deeper into why do you do this? Why? Like, why? Okay. Yeah. You were taught this, but why? So yeah. Thank y'all for this.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Markia. And really, really quick. um, Cause I heard Kamari do a, uh like <laughs> when I finished talking. So I wanted to pop over cause I didn't know if you wanted to say something real quick on that last point or.
0: I mean, I have a lot, but I'm still trying to, you know, process that, that loving shade I just got from my kid. <laughs> Basically saying I'm that old because I was at every historical event. I'm like the fat Joe of black history.
7: <laughs>
5: you did the walk, my boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but now, listen, I, I will say this. Um, King said a lot of things. He also said that he would love, to, uh, let me get it right, he said, "I fear I am integrating my people into a burning house. That burning house being America." Um, he did walk back or change and look at his position a little bit differently. But you also have to understand that King was the front man to make the appeal for all these people, right? So he was asking for grandiose things and hope that basically asking for what I want and taking what you know whatever we can get. So it was. It's it's I don't want to say tongue in cheek because I think that'd be disrespectful, but th- there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that, and I also feel the reason why I said "oof," I, I don't feel that black folks as the as a community looks at the role of money capitalism um, properly. Um, and a lot of times we 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 conflate capitalism with imperialism, and I think that's that does us a disservice. Um, Because Black people created capitalism. African people created capitalism. Um, And so if, if you look at things, right, if you look at Montgomery, the Montgomery bus boycott, which was probably the most successful civil rights ever event where they boycotted what is like 381 days, that was capitalism at work, right? Capitalism can be used. As a pro and a minus. It all depends on how it's used. Just like anything else. A gun is not good or bad. It's it's how much used by the person. If the people are evil that are using it, of course you're gonna get evil things. And if the people that are using capitalism are using it, of course you're gonna get evil things. But it's it's a great time for us to really show our God, um, or the God in us to come through show how to use capitalism and use it in the right way. And um, for the record, Rakim, I'm actually glad you always bring us back to remember the grace, because that wasn't my intention about talking about black business. i always having grace for black businesses, um, and I think we should have grace for black businesses and just black people in general. So I hope nobody was taking what I said as black people or black businesses are trash. That wasn't my intent but that's all I got. I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to.
1: Thank you so much, Kamari. And with that, we have four minutes left. So I'm going to hop over to Andre, because you've been so patiently waiting, then to Mika, and then I'm going to take us home. So each of you give us like a two minute spiel. Thank you so
7: much, Tiff. And thank you guys uh, for your time. This is
5: great.
7: This is a great room. Uh, So a few things I wanted to touch on real quick. Let's see if I can do in two minutes. So, uh, you know, just to push back on the conflating of capitalism and imperialism, I think it's, in my opinion, I I would say it's the the opposite. People think that, or they they think if they call it imperialism, that is not connected. Um, uh, Capitalism is based on competition, right? Profit. Uh, one of the sisters he mentioned a good source, Karl Marx's capital. He wrote it's the largest critique on capital and it's based on a whole tradition of socialism. Capitalism started in Europe in sixteen hundreds, late sixteen, seventeen, early seventeen. So we gotta make sure we understand and, and give white people their credit, right? like we we've incre- we've created civilization and all that other stuff capitalism is the system we have now we don't control it is because it wasn't designed by us it was um a, a need uh, and you know he had accumulative um um primitive accumulation which is one of the things that marx talks about as a concept where he talks about how capitalism kind of gets started in the first place because nobody has that kind of relative advantage in terms of how to get resources unless you kind of take stuff that doesn't belong to you <laughs> And so if the, he goes, this is about Nehru, uh, non-accelerating interest rate of unemployment. Somebody brought up unemployment, and we want to just look about, look at how, you know, if it's possible that capitalism can be used in a, in a way that um, produces the greatest outcome for everybody, and whether or not right now that's the case. So he says, if the Federal Reserve is committed to not allowing the overall unemployment rate to fall, Right. So really quick again, non-accelerating interest rate of unemployment means it's the interest rate that they want to keep that uh, or it's the unemployment rate. uh, That they want to keep from going below a certain point, because then investment won't be able to afford it because they have to pay wages to people. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of unemployment after covid, you know, the the unemployment uh you guys know about the huge stimulus and so it was like 40 million people crazy economic crashes uh instability and inequality under capitalism and so he says and he kind of ties it into race right so he says uh, this is an article on the Nehru. this is not technically true of course because there are other races but we can oh sorry excuse me he says uh If the Federal Reserve is committed to not allowing the overall unemployment rate to fall, as they would be if they believed it was at... Uh, Nehru, which I explained, then the only way for black unemployment rate to fall is if white unemployment rate rises. This is not technically true, of course, because there are other races, but we can generally say the only way to reduce the unemployment rate of a group with a higher than overall unemployment rate is to increase the unemployment rate of another group. Under Nehru sensitive monetary policy, that aims to keep the unemployment rate from falling, meaning they won't uh, allow people to create more jobs because the competition is such that if any one uh, business um, decides to do the humane thing and um, forego profit, then they, they're they're not going to be in business. So this is a fundamental co- contradiction in capitalism. And to the younger people in the room, I would highly suggest that you look into Marxism and socialism and communism because this is the thing that um, was at the heart of our struggle. And so it's nothing more than a (laughs) critique. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Sorry. But we have
1: to move on because it is 10 o'clock. But um, thank you so much for the points that you did bring up. And we might have to continue that conversation with another space. Um, So Tamika, go ahead, bring us home, and then I'll wrap us up. I
3: just wanted to wrap up with this quote um, from MLK from a speech. It wasn't a speech, an interview that he did four years after the I Have a Dream speech and it said, I think the biggest problem now is we got our gains over the last 12 years at bargain rates, so to speak. It didn't cost the nation anything.
0: Speaker, you okay?
3: Hello? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Uh
0: Here we go. Okay.
3: Um... Yeah, so I I just wanted to bring that that quote up from that speech, um, because in in that um, interview, he just talks about how his views had changed um, from the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement um, and how they evolved um, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's all I wanted to bring up.
1: Yes, thank you for that. And I mean, you know, thinking back to MLK and his various messages, um, you know, you have to be mindful that this was a changing time as well. Like, just like we're in changing times, he was in changing times too. And so at the end of the day, you know, he might have said some things at one point, he might have said something else at another point, um, all that stuff. So, you know, just like sometimes our ideas and viewpoints and maybe what we say has to change, you know, his did too. So thank you so much for bringing that up to This was an awesome space and I'm glad we got to talk about MLK Um, On this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day And day of service That was one thing that we didn't bring up Um, And um, I'm glad that you all were able to join We went over some powerful quotes And I'm just glad that we were able to have this space Thank you all so much for joining Um, If you are in the room Be sure that you follow all the individuals up here Because we are living the dream (laughs) That MLK um, was uh, Talking about in his speeches. So, we're trying to make it happen. Um, and we hope that you all do too. So, thank you so much for joining us. And like I said, this is Finn Noir, Space for Black Money Talk. It's every Monday at 9 p.m. So, we hope to see you next week. Bye.
0: Later, y'all.